John chapter 8, verse 30 to 59. Hear the word of the Lord. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, You will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abra- that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known Him. I know Him. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know Him, and I keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid hid himself and went out of the temple. Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you like listening to people argue, then you are probably enjoying chapter 8 of John. But if you, like me, don't really like to listen to people to argue, 
You might be struggling with chapter 8 of John, and I confess that as I've prepared to preach this text, it has been a challenge to do so, because it is this back and forth between Jesus and the Jewish people who were listening to him. And it's difficult to know how to preach that and to divide it up. They get more and more enraged, and he remains calm and objective in what he has to say. At the same time, this section is not only perpetually important, it is very timely, as far as I can tell, in the church today. And in our situation here in the United States, and maybe especially in South Florida. Why? Because this whole conversation is between Jesus and those who claimed to believe in Him, but with their lives denied Him. And when I was in Mexico just now, and they asked me, you know, what are the things that have been surprising to you about the United States and difficult to adjust to and so on, after so long away, that's one of the things I mentioned. That there is so little cost in the United States to saying that you're a Christian, and so little obligation that comes along with that declaration to live as a Christian, that there are very, very many people in our surrounding that honor God, as Isaiah says, with their lips. But there's no indication in their lives that their hearts are oriented towards God. And it's easy to point the finger and say, that's how they are. Our concern today is to see how we are. And verse 30 is the pivot verse between what we saw last week and what we see this week. And verse 30 seems like a triumphal conclusion to uh, last week's section. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. A, a resounding success of a sermon. And many believed in him. And so Jesus took the next step that, that we should all take as somebody comes to believe in Jesus. What does that person need? That person needs instruction in how to live as a believer in Jesus. And so Jesus immediately begins to disciple these people. He begins to instruct these new Jewish believers in how to live. And what does He say? So Jesus in verse 31 says, to the Jews who had believed in Him, if you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples. Now this raises a bit of a, a question because it sounds like some are truly His disciples and some are not truly His disciples. And that's the question throughout the Gospel of John. Who are those who are truly His disciples? And He said, this is an indication. If you abide, if you remain, if you persevere in My Word. And what does that look like? Well, that looks like studying, reading, believing, and obeying God's Word. That's how we know, and that's how others will know, if we are truly Christ's disciples, if we remain in His Word, in a way that is obvious in our lives. Now, this is unobjectionable as far as it goes, because every disciple of anybody does what? Follows his or her master's 
words. So that is something of a truism, isn't it? That uh, anyone who is a disciple follows the Master's instruction. But Jesus goes on to explain the implications of this, and these, these new believers immediately become upset. In verse 32, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, this, uh, this immediately provoked a reaction in these disciples. Uh, in these so-called disciples, in these new believers. They objected in verse 33. We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. Now, um, we need to understand what this might mean because Jesus and they could not have been talking about political enslavement because the Jews had been enslaved 400 years in Egypt. Uh, Even now, they were under the thumb of their Roman overlords, and so they had been under political enslavement. And so, what Jesus is talking about here is moral slavery and moral freedom. That is, freedom from the power of sin. And uh, all of us understand the appeal of this, don't we? I think most human beings understand how it feels to be dominated by impulses that we detest and we hate and we want to be rid of. We we long to be different than we are. And I find this to be in perhaps every human or almost every human that that finds things in ourselves that that dominate us and control us and we feel like we've been enslaved by these things and we want to be free from these things. And Jesus here is offering that kind of freedom. That freedom from sin. That freedom from being dominated by these these self-destructive impulses. And they say, you forgot with whom you're speaking. We are children of Abraham. We are the morally free. We are the ones who are free from sin. Not like all those heathen, pagan Gentiles out there. We are the chosen people of God. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? So immediately these believers begin objecting to what it means to be a believer, what it means to be a follower, a disciple. They, they realize that it has implications that they, they do not like because it puts them in a, in a worse light than they see themselves. And then Jesus explains, verse 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Do you know how that feels? Everyone who practices anger is a slave to anger. Everyone who practices immorality is a slave to immorality. Everyone who practices profanity is a slave to profanity. Everyone who practices lying is a slave to lying. Everyone who practices arrogance and pride is a slave to pride. I think you know how this feels, don't you? To be, to be wrapped up in, in, in these sins that, that control us. And Jesus says, that's how it is. That's what I'm talking about. It, it's slavery. And then He contrasts the slave with Himself. Verse 35, The slave does not remain in the house forever. The one who is enslaved to sin is in a precarious position in the house. But He says, The Son 
and it's ambiguous here, but then we realize which son this is. The son, and he's referring to himself, remains forever. So the son has a, a position in the family that uh, cannot be changed. And so he says in verse 36, the son has special powers because he remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You will be free indeed. It's the Son who can set us free. Now, um, he says, I understand, verse 37, I understand that you are offspring of Abraham. And so, by genealogy, yes, you do have a privileged position. But look at your behavior. Not only at the name you bear, and at the profession of faith that you, you mouth, but look at what you are doing. And he says, you're trying to kill me. And, and, and that's, not, that's not how Abraham would act. Verse 37, I know that you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Now that's quite a challenge there, isn't it? He's referring to my father, meaning God, and then he refers to your father, but he doesn't name their father yet. And then the conversation heats up. They answered him, Abraham is our father, verse 39. Jesus said to them, well, if Abraham were your father, you would be doing the works Abraham did. Like father, like sons and daughters. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Look at how you're acting, not only what you're saying. You are doing the works your father did, still unnamed. This father of these people who were opposing Jesus, who claimed to be believers. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. Now this is interesting comment here. Because the birth narrative of Jesus doesn't appear in the Gospel of John. Uh, We find that in Matthew and we find that in Luke. But John is often assuming, because he was written, he wrote his work later, that that the readers were familiar with what we find in Matthew and Luke that were written earlier. And so, uh, this is the only reference, and it's an indirect reference in the form of a an insult to Jesus of the fact that Jesus was born in some sort of a mysterious kind of hush-hush questionable way that, that was unusual. And they were interpreting what's called the virgin birth, that, that Jesus was born of Mary who was a virgin because He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. They were interpreting that apparently as immorality. And so they, they throw that in Jesus' face because apparently from the beginning there was this, this question about Jesus' birth. He says, we were not born of sexual immorality. And here they up the ante. We have one Father, even God. Now first they said, Abraham's our Father. And He said, you're not acting like Abraham would act. And now they say, no, actually, it's even better than that. We have one Father, even God. And Jesus said to them, look at how, look at how this This argument is, it's the same argument. If God were your father, so he's already said, if Abraham were your father, you would do Abraham's works. Now the argument's going to be what? If God were your father, you would do God's works. Exactly. And he says, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. So if they were from God, God sends Jesus, what would they do? They would receive Jesus. 
He says, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. And then if you go down and look at verse 45. Because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. They're not acting like those who are of God. They're saying it. They're not acting of it. They don't receive the one who came from God. They don't receive the words that come from God. And he throws it in their face. Which one of you can prove me a sinner? Which one of you can convict me of sin? What's he saying? Look at my life. Examine it. I am holding it open to you. Which one of you can convict me of sin? In other words, look at my works and you will be able to tell from whom I have come. Look at your works and you will be able to tell from whom you have come. And I jumped over verse 44 because here Jesus names their father. And He says, You are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. Now that might sound like an insult. They were trading in insults, but Jesus was not using insults. Jesus was speaking objectively and saying, look at your lives. And if you look at your lives and you find two characteristics of the enemy, of the devil, then you will know that he's your father. You of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, uh, it's not quite clear what that reference is. It may be the, the, the initial temptation of the first humans because he brought them by tempting them into death. Uh, and then, of course, many murders took place after that. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his own uh, out of his own character. He speaks his own native language. He's a liar and the father of lies. So Jesus is speaking objectively here. He's saying, look at your life. You're murderous and you're liars. And if you find those things in you, well, then you're following your father. And their father, the devil, their spiritual father, the devil, he was murderous and he's a liar and the father of lies. So Jesus is speaking objectively about them. But you can imagine that this did not sit well with them. These who claimed to be children of Abraham and children of God. And then the Jews answered him, and here their abuse gets worse. Verse 48. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan, a half-breed, and have a demon? And here Jesus answers very calmly, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. So Jesus calmly says, No, uh, look at my life. I honor my Father. You dishonor me. I'm living according to God's Word. You're opposing me. And uh, I'm not seeking my own glory. God's the one who will glorify me, which is a theme that goes throughout this, this book. He's the one who seeks my glory. He's the one who judges uh, and Jesus says, I'm not putting myself forward. Uh, uh, God is uh, seeking my glory. And then he advances the conversation in verse 51. And he says, one of these, truly, truly, I say to you. This is uh, always uh, in John Mark's a, uh, a, a momentous statement by Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word. Now, if you go back and look at the characteristic of a disciple in verse 31, it says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. Same idea here. Anyone who keeps, perseveres, obeys my word, 
believes my word, obeys it, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know you have a demon. If you say, Anybody who keeps your words will never see death, because he says, Abraham died, as did the prophets. And you say, If anyone keeps my word, verse 52, he will never taste death. Now it's interesting how they interpreted Jesus' words. Because he says you will never see death, which indicates that you will never die. Uh, and then they used a different verb, which is interesting. They said, how can you say, if anyone keeps my words, he will never taste death? And actually, they were being more descriptive than they knew. Because um, Jesus was not promising, as we will find out, that people would not physically die. He was promising that His disciples, even though they physically would die, their death would not taste like death. The, the savor of death would be taken away. That, that bitter flavor of death would not be for those who believe and remain in His Word. And it's an interesting connection because in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, the same expression shows up where it says that Jesus tasted death for everyone who believes in Him. So what's he saying here? He's saying physically you will die, and he will clarify that later in chapter 11. We'll get to that. That even though physically you will have to pass through the portals of death, it will not taste like death. The savor of death, the sting of death will be taken away. Why? Because Jesus was the one who tasted death for all who will believe and remain in Him. Now, uh, they went on with their challenge. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? The prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say He is our God. But you have not known Him. I know Him. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know Him, and I keep His Word. You see how the argument goes all through this text? How do we know that somebody knows God? If that person keeps God's Word. And Jesus says, look, I'm keeping God's Word. You're not. And so, if I were to say I don't know God, I would be just like you. Because my life shows that I know God. Your life shows that you do not. And then, in verse 58, 56 rather, your father Abraham, and here he grants them that biologically, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. If you want to act like father Abraham, then look at what father Abraham did. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Actually, he did not say that he'd seen Abraham, although that was true enough. He said that Abraham had seen him, and that he rejoiced to see Jesus' day. Now, it's not particularly clear if Jesus was referring to some certain event in Abraham's life, or the fact that 
that because of the promises that God gave to Abraham, that one day in his descendant, in his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And he had a, he had a glimpse, he had a vision of that, that descendant who would come and would bless all the nations, which is Jesus Himself. And so, He says, Abraham saw my day, and he rejoiced in my day, which was exactly the opposite of what these sons of Abraham were doing. And they said, impossible, Abraham's been gone 2,000 years, and you say you have seen Abraham. And then Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now we have seen Jesus use this expression, I am, a number of times. Sometimes, twice so far, with a predicate. I am the bread of life. And we will see him describe himself using I am. We have also heard him use this just to say, it is I. When they asked who he was, it is I, just to identify himself. But sometimes he's used it in a, an unusual way that, that looks to be grammatically incorrect. And uh, you would expect him to say, before, if he's going to talk about that he's older than Abraham, you would expect him to say, before Abraham was, I was. That's how he saw me, but he doesn't say that. He says, before Abraham was, I am. And we have already seen in previous instances of this I am, that when God presented Himself to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, He says, Go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Abraham says, What is your name? Who are you? What shall I tell him about who sent me? And He says, Tell them that the one who is sent you. I am who I am. Tell them that I am sent you. And then we find that this becomes a divine title in the prophets, particularly in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 43, where he's referred to as the I Am. You will know, you will believe that I am, a divine title. And so what is Jesus saying more clearly than in any of the other instances up to this point? What is He saying? You know why I've seen Abraham? You know why Abraham's seen me? Because I am. I always have been. I have no beginning. I have no end. And who is that? That is God and only God. Now, even if we missed it, they did not. They understood the language Jesus was speaking. In verse 59, they knew exactly what He was getting at. So they picked up stones to throw at Him. But Jesus hid Himself and went out of the temple. Why do they pick up stones to throw at him? If we go back to the Old Testament, we find that that was the Old Testament way of executing. And one of those who was to be executed by stoning was a blasphemer, someone who made himself out to be God. And so, according to the law, this is what they should do. They understood. Now, we end this chapter in a very, very different way than we picked it up today. In verse 30, we picked it up with a triumphal note that as he was speaking, many believed in him. Great news. And we end the chapter with these believers wanting to stone Jesus. So if there was something obviously 
a myth about their belief in Jesus. And we may find this shocking, but this was actually a very appropriate logical response given their ideas about Jesus. If a mere man was making himself out to be God and was not, what does that man deserve according to the law? That man deserves to be stoned. So the reaction, given what they thought about Jesus, is a logical reaction. Because he was claiming to be the eternal God. Now, um, C.S. Lewis observed this in his little book, Mere Christianity. And he was right on target when he observed that this is one of the logical reactions to Jesus that makes sense when we recognize that Jesus, a man, was claiming to be God. This is one of the the possible reactions that are logical. And he was trying to dismiss, as you will see, this, this smooth sort of acceptance, which is really in a rejection of Jesus by saying, oh, well, I'll accept Jesus among the great religious teachers of the past. Listen to what he says. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people people often say about him, and that's this. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Lewis continues, That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a a lunatic on the level of a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So after all this arguing of this chapter, the bottom line is very clear. And it's this. If... Jesus is who He said He is, then if you believe in Him, then you will never taste death. And you will be set free from those sins that have dominated you. And if you say that you believe in Jesus on His terms, not on yours, then you need to show it with the way you live your life. Let's pray. Our God, we thank You that Jesus has not left illogical, comfortable options open to us. 
by saying so clearly what he said, Lord, we need to reject him or accept him. He clearly claimed to be God and gave evidence of so being, as surprising as that is, that a man would be God or that God would come to be a man. And I pray for all of us, O oh God, that you would break down those, those impossible ideas that Jesus has not left open to us and that we would see Him once again or for the first time for who He is and who He claims to be and backed up with the way He lived His life and the way He died and the way He rose again. And I pray that we would be among those who are those who fall down and call Him Savior and call Him Lord. And I pray, O oh God, that You would enable us to demonstrate that He is our Lord with our lives. That we would show that the Son has set us free and that we have been set free from the, the dominion of sin. And I pray that we would remain in Your Word, persevere in Your Word, believe Your Word, and obey Your Word so that it might be abundantly clear that we are Jesus' disciples. And we pray this in His name. Amen.